Thank you. That was great. You never know you had surgery last week. We never even know. That was great. And we appreciate it greatly. I'm glad to have you here this morning. It is, as Jerry said. Boy, seems like such a big crowd. And you go from week to week. Just one week, it's uh, we're barely breathing. The next week, here we are. Whoo, an abundance. <laughs> That's great. Joy to have you here. And I love to worship together. And uh, joy friends that drive all the way up from... Timbuktu, nearly. But actually, from the islands, that's a little bit farther away. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd want to get off of that island no much. I've always wanted to go down there to see y'all. Yeah, you'd be ready to go. Oh, yeah, well, I know. <laughs> I stayed in Nassau three years before I left, and... Um, I didn't realize how good it was to get off till after I left. It does weigh on you, doesn't it? It kind of gets to you. You just want to get off for a while. <laughs> how big is it, by the way, just in area, width and length? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Isn't that something? Yeah. No wonder you want to get off, huh? Yeah. We can relate to that. That's good. Okay. Acts chapter 15. We'll turn there this morning and Acts chapter 15. Now this this um, section here, often called the Jerusalem Council, which I'm not sure why they call it the council, because it was the church, it was the local church meeting um, that was being conducted here. And the issue was, of course, circumcision of Gentiles. When Gentiles come into the church, certain of the church at Jerusalem were teaching them that they should be circumcised. And that would be one of the key things to look at in this passage and study. But I want to look at something a little different this morning. And I want us to look at the process in which this church meeting was conducted as a principle as, or as certain principles laid out for the conduct of the church and how Matters are to be decided in a church, how issues that arise should be dealt with. And, of course, I, from day one, from the moment that you invited me to come to this church to be the pastor, said that I was not interested in anybody voting in me to come here. And I've tried in the best I know how to practice what I feel is the proper method for a church to conduct itself in a body of believers who have united themselves together in a common faith with a common purpose and, and for a common obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage, you know, I'm not going to deal with the doctrinal things there so much as I am 
the issues surrounding what was going on in the book of Acts at this point in time and the principles that the Lord laid out by this example of what we should be doing in the local church. Now, going back to Acts chapter 13, you just get a little hint or a glance at the, the, you know, what was being set up here for us. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 were being sent out on their missionary journey. And it tells us there that there was a church in Antioch. Now, this was north of Jerusalem. And in this church, there were certain prophets and teachers, and they're named here for us who they were. And it says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord they f and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so they, in verse 4, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And then it says, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God. Now, of course, what we see here is this group meeting together in this local church in Antioch, and the Holy Spirit speaking to them, to Paul and Barnabas, that they have a work to do, and they spoke to the congregation. The Holy Spirit spoke to the congregation, telling them that I have a work for them. And so, in obedience, they laid their hands on them in uh, commending themselves uh, to the work of the Lord, and it says they sent them away. So the Holy Spirit called them, but the local church sent them on their way. Now they went about, they went on, and they preached the word of the Lord. And we've been through all the Gospels, the book of Acts, all the epistles regarding this message of the word of the Lord. So that's not what we're going to call into question. They preached the word of the kingdom consistently throughout. We saw what the message was that was to be proclaimed. It was the word of the kingdom. We saw that many times, as we see with many other um, uh, expressions in the New Testament, oftentimes they're contracted or we get a shorthand version. So sometimes it's just called they preach the word. Sometimes it says they preach the gospel. Sometimes it's the word of Christ. Sometimes it's the gospel of Christ. And you know many other expressions all that relate back to this central message of, of the word of the kingdom. Now, they went about preaching and they preached to Gentiles. And God did a great work with Paul and Barnabas as they went about on their missionary journey. And, of course, they made a circuit. And they went in a, in, through the upper part of the, of the Mediterranean and made their way then back to Antioch. And it says here in chapter 14... In verse 27, it tells us there, when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And that was the key thing that had taken place on this missionary journey. God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And there they, it says they abode a long time with the disciples. And Verse 1 of 15, And certain men which came down from Judea, 
taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so it says when they came down from Judea. Now, in our orientation in America, and you know, and, and in my orientation especially, I've talked about this before, I learned to tell my directions in Indiana. Indiana's flat. Indiana roads go this way, east and west, or this way, north and south. Once in a while, you find some roads angling off somewhere. And, and I really like it because I like just tearing off across the countryside, just heading off in a direction where I know where I'm headed. I don't even think about where my road's going to take me because I know eventually if I keep making my right and left turns the way I'm supposed to, I'll come out somewhere pretty close and I'll get to explore the country and don't even really have to carry a map with me or anything. I find my way along. Here he says they're going down to Antioch. And that was a common orientation in Israel because Jerusalem was on a high plain, on a high mountain. And so... The orientation was, if you were going from this central point of reference, you would go down. My central point of reference was the barnyard. I stood out in the middle of the barnyard, and I, my dad said, you know, the barn, you look, look that way, that's straight north. And then behind me was south, to the right was the east, to the left was the west. And it didn't matter where I was. If I was trying to figure out where I was at, I oriented myself by thinking, okay, now there's the barn, and I could think in my mind just where I was, and everything squared away, and I knew then which direction I was headed in. Down to Antioch to teach. And they were teaching something that was natural to them, I suppose, Pharisees who had traveled down to teach this thing concerning the manner of Moses or the custom of Moses that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Now, most of us want to think that, well, they were talking about how a person really needed to be circumcised in order to be be sure they were going to be saved for all eternity from hell. But if you, if you stop and think for a moment here, they were talking about Moses and Moses' teaching and that Moses' teaching or custom was circumcision in order to be saved. And the whole reference here had to do with, if you think back in the context of Israel and being saved, it had to do with the idea of being delivered or the idea of being preserved under God in order to enjoy the blessings that he wanted to bestow upon Israel. And so it had to do with an individual living in obedience to the law, knowing that they could be saved and ultimately they would be saved to participate in the coming kingdom that God had promised to Israel. Now, you find down in um, verse 5, it says there rose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. And so we find that these men who traveled down to Antioch were believers. They were Pharisees, but they were believers. They were in the church. 
they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They simply believed that in addition to receiving the Messiah for the completeness of their faith, that one would need to be circumcised. Well, we find in verse 2 that Paul and Barnabas uh, didn't agree with them. Matter of fact, he said there was no small dissension and disputation. Now, this kind of expression you find very frequently in the New Testament. When it says no small, it means it was big. Uh, there's a technical term called litities that they call this, and it's used frequently. And so this was a big deal. So there was a, a big disagreement in the church. And, of course, that's exactly what we want to deal with here this morning. How did they go about settling the disagreement? Without arguing the doctrine here for the point, for the moment, how did they go about settling this disagreement? That's what we want to deal with. And so it says in, in, in verse 2, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question or this issue, or some translations say about this matter, this, this disagreement. And so what happens here is, in actuality, the church there then in Antioch deputized Paul and Barnabas. They appointed them on their behalf to go down to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question so that they could you know, get an answer and get the thing settled. And so in verse 3 then, it says there, And being brought on their way by the church. Now, what does that expression mean? They were brought on their way by the church. Well, that big long expression, brought on their way, uh, is, carries with it the connotation of aided or fitted them out. It could mean they materially provided for their means to make the trip down to, um, down to Jerusalem. Other expressions of it just means that a company of people accompanied someone somewhere. I want to take a look at a couple of those just to get an idea of that, and this is not really central to what we're going to talk about. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. Now, Paul at Ephesus, and he, you know, he's getting ready to leave. You remember, it's going to be his last time to see him. And they were weeping and sorrowful over the matter. And it says in verse uh, 37, They all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. And so it was just a matter of, uh, some means or way of assisting someone. And, of course, when someone's leaving or departing, uh, whether, you know, on some kind of a trip, and oftentimes a crowd of people uh, that are closely connected will accompany them to the plane or the boat or whatever it might be to see them off. And um, that was what happened here with the Apostle Paul. Turn over to, uh, I'm going to skip a couple of these. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 6. 
And you're familiar here with the idea of what Paul was, he was making an appeal to the church at Corinth. He said in verse 5 that he was going to come unto them. I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. We have the same word used here, that you may, and you don't get the idea here in this context that it was to accompany him, but that you might outfit me, support me, help me on my way with material means, whether it was, you know, finances or whether they were going to supply him with a suit of clothing or a bag of apples or, you know, I don't know what they would have done to help Paul on his way or what he expected. Look over then another, one more time, Third John. John, the third epistle. And I think here we see a very clear expression of what this word means as far as helping them on their journey. Look with me at verse, what is it? Verse 6 here too. Well... If I'd get out of Jude, I could probably read it for you. There we go. Now, he says in verse 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom, if thou bring forward on their journey, and there we have that same expression, bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, that is, in a worthily manner to God, you shall do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, and I notice that expression there, taking nothing of the Gentiles. And so the fact that he was not, these evangelists here, these traveling evangelists or missionaries were not taking anything from the pagans, the Gentiles, he was expecting them here in this church to bring them on their way. That is, financially assist them or materially assist them in whatever fashion. And so we find that that was a, a sound expression and a good biblical practice even for us today. Aiding and accompanying those who are going on a journey or a mission, doing the work of the Lord and carrying out his will. Well, that's what they did. So they went on down to Jerusalem. And it says they passed through Phoenice back in Acts chapter 15 and verse 3. They passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. Well, they just talked to everybody on the way. What God had done amongst the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. <laughs> boy, that was great. Great joy unto all the brethren. But boy, back in Antioch, people had been stirring some things up. Well... It says in verse 4, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church. And again, here we don't have the ordinary word for receive, but we have a compound word, which means, and is translated in other places, gladly received, happily received. In other words, they, they received them in a very strong, intense fashion. It wasn't just, how you doing? <laughs> but they gave them a warm welcome. Bob would have been there, he'd have given him a hug for sure. See? It was a warm, happy, glad reunion. And so they welcomed them in, in this manner. And the apostles and the elders and declared all things that God had done with them. So we see then 
the first order of business was to tell them, the leaders of the church, the apostles and the elders, what had been going on, how that God had blessed them and used them on this journey in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. In verse 5, there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, okay, which believed. And so here we have the, the expression now of the dissension that's in the church. Disagreement as to this matter of circumcision and the faith of the Gentiles. How are they going to decide this matter? How are they going to bring it to a resolution? You think they'll just vote on it? <laughs> Say, okay, we'll just vote and the majority will win. Whoever says you know, we get more for faith... Nothing else, we'll take that. If they say, well, we got more for circumcision, we'll take that. No, it wasn't the democratic method in the local church. There was something else going on here that was far greater and deeper and more meaningful than any majority vote could ever hold. All the majority vote does is continue the dissension. It doesn't resolve anything. It doesn't change the mind or the opinion of those who are in the minority or those in the majority. Matter of fact, it only solidifies the majority and throws the minority, that is the, the losing faction, into, into uh, a dither because they didn't get it their way. Well, so what did they do? We find in verse 6, after hearing the matter, after hearing what the precise disagreement was all about from Paul and Barnabas and from these Pharisees. You see, each one had an opportunity to speak. In verse 4, Paul and Barnabas declared all the things that God had done with them. Verse 5, the Pharisees gave their opinion on what should be done with these Gentiles. But notice then what happened after that. The apostles and elders came together, they had a men's meeting, and they said, we want to consider this matter. Now that word matter there is the word logos. We want to consider this word, this concept, this idea that you are setting forth. We want to stop and take this under consideration. And so you'll notice that it was the, the leaders of the church, the, the men of the church there, who came together to bring reconciliation. Now notice what happened in this meeting once they met together. It says in verse 7, And when there had been much disputing, okay, so everybody had an opinion to give, and they talked about it. Peter then stands up, and you'll notice then here that we have... Uh, some of the leading figures of the church and, of course, apostles, as you would expect, who spoke authoritatively at this point in time in the young and new church. And Peter rose to say this. He said, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. All right? So that, that was something that Paul and Barnabas had been doing. Peter's just simply saying back in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, 
know, God used me to open this door and to bring the, to let us know that the gospel was to come to the Gentiles. And God, in verse 8, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, that is, unto us apostles. He did the same for them. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Boy, that was an amazing thing for a Jew to say, wasn't it? No difference between them and us. But you see, that went wholly contrary to the mindset of the average Israelite all through the centuries since the time of Moses. That they were different and that they held a peculiar and special position before God. And now they see this difference, this wall being broken down. And as Paul tells us in other places, this middle wall of partition has been taken down. It's not there anymore. And so he says in verse 10 then, Now therefore, why tempt ye God? <laughs> Boy, I mean, you talk about putting it to the juggler. Why tempt ye God? In other words, we see that we saw manifested the evidence of God's working in the hearts of the Gentiles, that their hearts were purified by faith. Then he says... In verse 10, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? And it's interesting there. He calls these Gentiles, believers, disciples, followers of Christ, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe, he says in verse 11, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And that saved was in the reception of the gospel of the word of the kingdom. And so in verse 12, then all the multitude kept silence. That is, they all stopped speaking. This, this, all this discussion and this disputing stopped when Peter finished. And they gave audience, it says, to Barnabas and Paul, allowing them to speak and declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. That's the second time they did this. And after they had held their peace, that is, they stopped talking then, James answered. And apparently, we're to recognize that James uh, was maybe amongst the elders, the eldest of the elders, I don't know for sure but it's thought that he may have been and had therefore a more respected leading position amongst all the other apostles and elders. And so he gets up to speak in a sense here to give the final word on the matter because he gives his judgment here. And he says, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, and to disagree the words of the prophets as it is written. And now, of course, he brings out scriptural evidence for what he's about to say. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, 
And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the age. Not the beginning of the world, but the beginning of the age. And so we find this next step then in verse 19. Well, he continues and says, gives his, his summarization, as it were. My sentence is this, that we trouble not them which uh, from among the Gentiles are turned to God, and that we just simply write them a letter and say that they should abstain from pollution of idols in verse 20, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. And then you'll notice the next step that took place. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church. So you see, after the apostles and elders met together in this council, as it were, to form this discussion and to bring it to a resolution, you'll see that they, when they brought it back, there was a unified spirit amongst the apostles and the elders and the whole church. And it says there, they agreed to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, uh, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren, and they wrote letters by them after this manner. And then so they wrote the letter that they were to carry. Now, of course, what we want to look at here, or what we want to know or see, is the process by which this whole thing took place. That there was a disagreement within the church. This disputation arose. The both sides of each party were given opportunity to speak, Paul and Barnabas, and these certain Pharisees, which believed, gave their view on the matter. And then these leading men of the assembly, the, uh, Peter and James in particular, but evidently we saw that there were others who spoke up as well, and they gave their position. And you must, we would have to read between the lines a little bit to ascertain that when they spoke, there evidently was a common unity or agreement between them uh, or amongst them as to what the underlying issue was and where we were going to land on our feet. That no, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. And so they carried these letters. And turn too many pages. We find that in verse 25, after taking these letters or, or, and reading of this letter, it says, It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord. That's the summary of the matter. To send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And so what we see written here by Luke in recording this account and all that took place, the sum of the matter was is that though it arose with much disputation and disagreement, 
it ended with them being in one accord. And it wasn't that they voted on the matter. It wasn't that the majority ruled. It was that there was a unified spirit amongst the members of the church. In other words, there was a submission on the part of each and every one to the Lordship of Christ. And, of course, at this point in time, the ministry of the apostles who held particular sway in the church because we didn't have any recorded word written down at this point in time. And so, you know, their word was, as it were, Scripture. It was authoritative teaching. Now, he says then on down um, in verse uh, 28 and 29, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And he re- rehearses then what it was that, that they expected of them. In verse 30, so when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. That is, once the letters had been written, they had turned them over to Paul and Barnabas and the group that was to accompany them. Then they were dismissed. They went back uh, down to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together. Now, quite frankly, I don't really follow the word there. I would have thought that the Holy Spirit would have said when they gathered the church together. But it says multitude. And it just means a crowd of people or an assembly of people. I don't know what the situation was. Maybe everybody couldn't be there. But it was certainly the group of believers that were in Antioch at any rate. And they delivered the letter, the epistle. And when they had read it, it says here, they rejoiced for the consolation. They rejoiced for the words that strengthened them. They rejoiced in the words that encouraged them in this letter. Meaning that they didn't have to go out and submit to the rite of circumcision and that they were willingly submitting themselves to these four principles that the leaders in the church in Jerusalem had laid out for them, for Gentiles to follow. Because, and it was really, it says it was because of the many Jews that were in the area and the synagogues that were in the area where these Christians were meeting. And in verse 32, it says, Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And so the situation was, when it was settled, is that they confirmed them in that they didn't need to do anything more regarding their salvation. They didn't do, need to do anything more with respect to their receiving of the word of the kingdom, the gospel message that Paul and Barnabas had gone about preaching everywhere they went. And so it says, After they tarried there a space and were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So Paul, we find that Paul and Barnabas stayed there in Antioch, and they continued their ministry there for quite some time before they actually went out on their second missionary journey. And so we just see some simple principles laid out here was that each was allowed to speak and give their their view. The apostles and elders of the church 
met together to discuss the matter. And apparently, and again, reading between the lines somewhat, came to a resolution, brought it to the church, and there was a unified message and a unified reception and spirit amongst the whole church. And then it says, um, after all this was done, then they wrote their letters. That is, they made their, their final decision, and it was carried out. And the whole point that I'm and, and, uh, trying to bring forth and bring out, and of course, as I said, I've, I've sought this ever since I came here from the very beginning, is for us as a church to conduct our meetings in this way. And I know what a temptation it is to, you know, go around to each and we say, well, how do you feel? And, you know, and if we got a majority, we feel like we're doing okay. Or maybe I'm in the right. You know, the majority may rule, but the majority may not be right. Sometimes it's one in the minority who's actually the right one. And so it behooves each one of us to hold within our hearts a spirit of humility and submission to the spirit of Christ to make sure we're all, and this is what it is, that not that we are all on the same page together, but that we're all on the same page with the Lord together. And if we're all on the same page, that is, if we all have a unity uh, that oneness of spirit, that oneness of mind, that oneness of soul, as the scripture declares in another place, with the Lord, you know, then you won't have any church arguments. I won't say you won't have divisions. I won't say you have disagreements. But every one of them will be settled in a spirit of harmony and of love and of warm welcome and acceptance. Now, you can obviously see that I'm not preaching such a message because we've ever had that happen here since I've been here. It hasn't happened. Now, I'm not praying that there will never be a disagreement. I mean, I would expect those. We're all human. But I would expect that if we did have a disagreement, if there was a disagreement of understanding, then we would follow such principles as this. And seek to gather the mind of Christ. Because, you know, I think it's pretty obvious. I don't even want to say the word evidently. It's obvious on its very face to me that when these elders met together, they consulted scripture. They went back to the message from of old, it says. And they gathered together what the teaching of the scriptures was regarding Gentiles and God's dealing with him. And once that was made plain and evident to all of them, then there was a wholehearted acceptance. And it says there, they, they all came together, the whole church, with the elders and apostles, to send these chosen men with this message. And I just want to say I thank the Lord for the ministry I've had here and the spirit that is amongst this congregation. I know we get up here, I mean... Jerry and Bob and I, we get to stand up here, and the rest of you don't get to do that so much. So we get to do the bragging 
on you. And, but I, I know you feel the same way because you tell me so. And, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm get glad that we can speak like this in a more like a family atmosphere uh, than you would find in a traditional setting. And I just want to thank the Lord for that and pray that as we leave here, that we'll continue that walk with the Lord that will enable us to continue on just like we have been. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for the, the ministry of your word and the continued admonitions you give all throughout your uh, scriptures in the New Testament that we uh, should be of the same mind, the same spirit, and love one another. And how the psalmist declared that it was uh, a beautiful thing for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And Father, I just thank you this morning that you've given us such a spirit here and how I pray that we would be on guard against the enemy who would seek to divide us and turn us against each other and cause division. And I pray that, Lord, you will keep our hearts and our minds focused on those things that are of most important to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.